If you have your Bibles, please open it to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 is going to be the text this morning. I'd like to begin by reading the first nine verses of chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 1 to 9. Who is like the wise man? And who knows interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. I say, keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join him in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble, for a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every delight, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of death, and there is no discharge in the time of war. And evil will not deliver those who practice it. All this I have seen and applied my mind to every deed and has, that has been done under the sun, wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. When I was in high school, I was a menace in a lot of ways to my school. I applied for a job in the after-school program, which gave me what I felt was unwielding power in my hands, because from 3.30 to 5 o'clock, I was no longer the student known as Raymond Fung. I was known as Mr. Fung. I had authority over my peers and all the little middle schoolers. I can decide who gets to line up first. I can decide who can be the line leader. I can even bench some of them so that they do not get a break. I have all this power for just those one and a half hours, and it felt glorious. But after five o'clock, I would revert back to my human self. And it was great because for those hour and a half, I knew what it was like to have authority and power. And it's easy for people in authority to abuse that power, but it's definitely, at least I would imagine, it was probably hard being under my rule. Those students probably grumbled and complained because they did not like me as their after-school monitor. And there are bad rulers in the world, like myself when I was in high school, but there are also bad rulers in the world in general. The world is an unpredictable and very dangerous place. How are we as Christians to live in a world where there are just so many bad leaders and rulers in our lives? And if we think about it, most of us here in this room, we're not going to be the people in the upper echelons of society. We're not going to be the the social elites. For most of us, we're going to be under authority of someone else. Whether you're a student, whether you're at work, whether you're in politics, there's always someone that is over you. And in a lot of ways, just looking at history, there are a lot more servants than there are rulers. There are more people subjected to authority than there are authorities in the world. And there is nothing more divisive in our time, particularly in the church, than how we're supposed to view the government. In the last few years, we have different views on the vaccine and COVID, and the government became something that we were, that even Christians were divisive over. And I think part of the reason why Christians were overreacting to the things of the government is because we forget how we are supposed to be as Christians in light of the government. Now, I know there's this debate going around even in Christian circles about what is the government in the relation to the church. How much authority should a government have in the church? And I'm not going to answer that to intentionally frustrate you because I'm going to let Solomon try to answer that question to help us course correct some of our thoughts and perception about rulers and governments. The book of Ecclesiastes is a book about how life is completely vain without God. It, it's, this, it's this life about what if 
You try to do everything that you wanted in this life, to enjoy all the pleasures and riches of the world without the Lord. And Solomon concludes that if you try to live like that, if you try to live without God, if you don't fear the Lord, then life is completely meaningless. And chapter 1 begins by talking about how everything under the sun is just this constant cycling of just one thing after another, and it just kind of repeats itself. There's nothing new under the sun. We might think that we have a new idea. We might think that there's a new way of living. And Solomon's saying, no, there's no such thing. Everything goes in this cycle. And if you don't fear the Lord, it would seem very monotonous, and you'll feel empty. That's what Solomon's trying to say in the first chapter. In the second chapter... Solomon uh, volunteers himself to do every single sin and enjoy every single pleasure under the sun to just experiment, just to do a little test to see, can you find purpose in pleasure without God? And he concluded after enjoying and indulging in every sin that, there, that a person can indulge and every pleasure that there is under the sun, no, life is meaningless without God. Pleasure is meaningless without the Lord. In chapter 3, he talks about just the extremes of life, that there's a season for one thing and a season for another thing, that there's a time for this and a time for that, a season of, of, of sadness and a, tear, and a time of joy. And this reality of extremes is just how life is. And this time that goes back and forth is supposed to make us think that and know that eternity is written in our hearts, that even with time, if you try to look at time without God, then everything is meaningless. Chapter 4 begins to just explain how life is difficult. Living in this fallen world is not easy, but it can be, you can manage it just a little bit better if you have other people in your life. If there are those in your life that you can just live life with, it's tolerable. Chapter 5 starts with this, uh, Solomon talks about how we need to think wisely before we approach the Lord. When we go into the house of worship, you need to think uh, who you are worshiping and learn not to speak so much, but to listen to the Lord. Then he talks about how riches does not satisfy, how you can have all the money in the world and yet be completely empty. Chapter 6 talks about just enjoying the life that God has given you. Yes, this is a material world that's made of material things, and you can enjoy these things in light of who God is, but if you don't have the Lord, then the things that you have in this world will be completely meaningless. You can possess everything that this world has to offer. You can buy all the new iPhones, you can buy all the cars, but yet you can feel completely empty if you do not love God. In chapter 7 begins the application section about how you can apply some of these philosophical ideas he makes this contrast between the wise and the fool and what is the, the better idea and what's a good idea. How do you best live your life in this world? In chapter 8 here, in the section that we're studying today, Solomon tries to help us understand how do you live under a ruler? Now, I know in the passage it speaks of kings, and I don't think it's strictly just kings in terms of politics or rulers in the world, but also I think just every sect of life, whether you're a student, whether you're at work, or whether you're at home, or you're in the, in the city, or in the, living in this country, there is a appropriate submission that we need to have for them. Remember, this is a poetic literature, meaning that it gives us general principles on how we are supposed to engage life. And yet there are exceptions to that rule. And I think that's what Proverbs is like. It gives us just general principles and guidelines of how to live a blessed life. And Ecclesiastes gives us the exception, the hard things of life, the things that might be what you and I call morally gray. And it's important that in your mind you know how to think through things biblically because most of us, when we're living in this world, we're not going to be dealing with the exceptions. There's going to be moments where we're going to just deal with just Here's what the God's word has to say. Here's what the world is like, and we just have to deal with it. And as bad as some leaders in our lives may be, Christians must know how to live faithfully to the Lord in complete obedience to him by obeying the rules, not just the rules of Scripture, but also the rule of the land. And in this section, Solomon's trying to give us some counsel on how anyone and everyone can honor the Lord even in light of terrible rulers. Regardless of what some people might think, there will always be someone ruling over us. And it's in this sad reality that Solomon gives us some practical advice 
just some suggestions and really through the inspiration of God's word, God's inspired word to tell us how we can live under any type of rule, whether good or bad. And Solomon speaks to the reality of life, and there is nothing more real in life than to know that there is someone in authority over you. In our day, our people hate that idea of submission. It's almost like a taboo word. We love autonomy. We love to be able to think for ourselves and make decisions for ourselves, and we like to self-govern. And in a way, that's almost like a self-deification. We like to do things in our making. We want the world to be how we want it to be. Especially, that's the case if you have rules in your life that you may not align with politically, or you may not like them because of how they are. But yet, a wise and mature Christians understand that they must submit ultimately to the Lord, and by submitting to the Lord means that you might have to submit to the authorities that are under, that are over you, that are under the Lord, but over you. It is a wise thing to do, even if it's not easy to do so. Now, again, this passage speaks of kings and rulers in terms of the political sense, but I do think that the application, the principle applies to every area of our life. So if you're a student, this will be helpful for you. If you're at work, this is also going to be helpful for you. And all of us are here living in this country. There are rules in this country that we need to abide by as well. In a lot of ways, this question of submission really is a Western luxury. Right? There's, there's so much freedom that we have here that we forget that, no, there are actually things and people that we need to submit to. Because in other parts in the world, if you even try to rebel in any sense of the world, it's death for you. That's what it was like in the time of Solomon. There's even times like that in places all over the world. And as as Christians, we need to think biblically as opposed to what's going on around us. A lot of ways, Ecclesiastes chapter 8 is the Romans 13 of the Old Testament. How can we live wisely under the sun while we're under any ruler? How, do I, how would I not get frustrated living under every ruler? We need to live, learn to live wisely. And how do I live wisely so I will not be frustrated with the leaders and rulers above me? Well, first, you need to have a submissive attitude. The first thing you need to have is a submissive attitude towards the government or your teacher or your boss. That's the first point. Have a submissive attitude. Notice the beginning of verse 1. Who is like the wise man and who knows the interpretation of a matter? Being wise means that you're living biblically. It means that you're living under God's divine revelation. You cannot be biblical if you don't know God's word. A wise man understands, and it says here, the interpretation of a matter. And what matter, what interpretation, what is he speaking of? I do think in the context here, he's speaking about submitting to rulers. He's referring to submission to the government or to whatever authority is in your life. A wise man knows how to conduct and respond to authority in their life and to exercise appropriate submission. And he's asking this question, who is like the wise man? And really the answer to that is, not many. There's something truly special and unique about someone that is wise, someone that can discern the times with God's word. This person is very rare and unique and exceptional. It's uncommon for people to be wise. And wisdom is something that is hard to find, but we're called to keep seeking for wisdom. That's why Proverbs speaks a lot about acquiring wisdom. Be willing to sell everything you have to go and get wisdom because if you have God's word, if you have wisdom, then you can live in this life being free from frustration. Notice in the last half of verse 1, as a man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. I think this is actually kind of funny because, at least in the terms of translation, because it talks a lot about light just blasting off of his face. And what does this actually mean? The idea, and literally it means the strength of his face changes. So wisdom has this ability to change your appearance, not in terms of the way you look more beautiful, it's just that you're more relaxed, you're, more, you're calm, you understand what's going on around you because you have God's word, and wisdom knows how to change your countenance from being in distress to being completely in control. A wise person's face is literally different from a foolish person's face. They look at life differently. So does that mean 
to the reason why believers in particular have a hard time with government and submitting to leaders is because they are biblically illiterate. And I would argue, yes, a wise Christian understands God's word enough so to know, first and foremost, that God is the only true sovereign in their life, that God is the one that's truly in control of all things, even terrible rulers. So if you know God's word well, you have no fear regardless of who is in authority over you. Godly wisdom makes you look different. It makes your outlook in life different. People look at life differently, and they even look different themselves. Look, a good government will not satisfy you. Having a good employer will not make you happy. Having great teachers or even parents, they will not satisfy but knowing God's word will. That's wisdom. The only way is if you want to understand how to be calm and, and have a, a life that's filled with stress-free, you need to know God's word. Ultimately, we know that God is the one that is completely in authority, and he will bring people into the office and out of office. He'll bring people into positions of leadership, and he'll remove them as well. Proverbs chapter 21 Solomon writes, every man, oh, sorry, uh, Proverbs 21, verse 1, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. I know some of you have lawns in your front yard, or at a, if not, then you at least have a sink. And if you're washing dishes or watering your plants, what usually happens is that there's a little hose that you turn on, you can control and dictate where the water goes. If you're trying to water a particular place, you just aim the hose at it. If you want to clean certain dishes, you just aim the hose at the dishes. And that's this picture that Solomon has in terms of God controlling the rulers. You know, the current of the water might be very strong, but it's all under the hand of God. That God is the one that controls and moves history. And how he does it is sometimes he uses good and bad rulers. Remember in the Old Testament, that the Lord will even raise up pagan nations, evil rulers, to judge Israel. And you don't have to like these rulers. You don't have to even like the commands that they give, but you have to submit to them. Wisdom understands that all authority, all earthly authority, comes from the divine authority. Solomon is saying that you need to honor the courts here in verse 2. It says, I say, keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Psalm saying, listen to them, keep the command. He's giving some practical wisdom how we're to live in this fallen world. And Psalm saying that there is a proper way to conduct and behave yourself in the presence of those in authority. And he says, people, that they need to submit. Why? Because all authority is from God. Reverent behavior before rulers is something that makes a wise person. Proverbs 21, 24, verse 21, it says, My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those who are given to change, for their calamity will rise suddenly, and who knows the ruin that comes from both of them. There's a warning here from Scripture that you need to have self-control, that you need to have some self-restraint and respect for the authorities above you, that you need to keep their command. Again, this is not an easy thing to do, especially if we don't like that ruler's policies or we don't like the way that they run the company or we don't like the teacher's ideas. But we're called to submit to them and understand that for most of church history, in the Christian life, they were all, most of them were under terrible rulers. They were under terrible rules and mandates, but yet the Christian knows to submit to them. Look at the end of verse 2. It says that they the, keep the command of the king because of oath before God. What oath? Did the king make some sort of oath to the, to the Lord? Did we make some sort of oath to the king? Well, I think in the context here, it's speaking of our oath to God. Our oath to God means that we're going to submit to uh, those in lower authorities. Our oath to the Lord causes us first and foremost to submit to God, and then we submit to those that are over us in this world. It's not some sort of human vote that gets a ruler into the 
uh, into, the, into the throne. It's not something that, you know, it's not us choosing a teacher that gives us uh, that authority. You know, we think and we must always remember that God is one who places people in authority over us. Every leader in control is only there because God is in control. Every leader is there because God wants them there. Your ballot box is not the reason why a person is in, is in authority. God is. Even illegitimate governments of, of people getting into office is providentially by the Lord for his divine purposes. In submitting to the rulers in our lives, we're really submitting to the Lord. And the inverse is also true as well, that by not submitting to our worldly authorities, we're ultimately not submitting to the Lord. Romans 13 reads this, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you have praise from the same. Paul reminds the Romans, and again, those Roman leaders were not pleasant. But even in those terrible rulers, there is a sense in which you need to learn to trust in the Lord, to submit to him, to understand that those people that are in power over us are there because God has placed them there. And rebellion against these governments are a direct rebellion against God himself. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13, Submit yourselves for the, sake, uh, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Again, Peter makes this connection that you are the Lord. You belong to the king of kings, and you are called in this life to submit to those that he has placed over you. Again, these are rulers in the New Testament times that are not easy to submit to, but yet this is God's expectation of us as believers. Seeing poor leaders and evil rulers should not be new to the Christian. This is the normal Christian life experience, whether all leaders, to some extent, are poor leaders. There is no such thing as a perfect ruler. There's no such thing as a perfect employer. There's no such thing as a perfect teacher. Yet, in light of that, we're called to honor them, to submit to them, and to obey them. Because in doing so, it is pleasing to the Lord. And for the Christian in particular, submitting to Christ implies, first and foremost, that we're submitting to the Lord. To obey rulers means breaking your own promise to God himself. And that has serious consequences because every authority is God's authority. You can measure a person's spiritual maturity based on how they react to the authorities above them because there is a connection between the way that you look at those that are in authority over you to the way that you look at God who's in authority over all things. God places those authority over us for our good and for his glory, even the terrible rulers. Now, you might think, how can the terrible rulers be for our good? Well, just think about the last few years when there seems to be more government control. It sanctified us, right? It made us not trust and place our faith in the government. It rather forces us to trust in the Lord. It didn't make us be, you know, it forces us to reveal some sins in our own life. We grumbled and we complained. And that's the Lord showing us and exposing in our hearts the, the areas that we need to work on. Really, it's exposing the sin that's in our own lives when we see evil going on in the world. A person's obedience of the ruling authorities is linked to their own fidelity to the Lord himself. And your allegiance with God gives you this unique ability and perception about government to allow you to submit to them. And obviously, this is not speaking of sin, right? We see Daniel, for example, he was told not to worship God but bow down to to Nebuchadnezzar and the golden statue. He did not do it. And the Bible has 
areas in which you can rebel against that is faithful to the Lord. And if it's a sin issue, the government is telling you to do some sort of sin, yes, those are the areas that you don't have to uh, listen to. But you have to be willing to take the consequences of those actions. You need to be willing to suffer for your faithfulness to the Lord. But the sad reality is that most of the things that happen in our lives are not in those categories. You know, most of our jobs are not telling us to deny Jesus Christ. Most of the things that happen in our life are just more of a preference or things that we, prefer, we don't like. But in those areas, we need to be willing to submit to the government or to the rulers in our lives. And again, if there is a conflict between God's command and the government's command, then we obviously need to obey God's word. But unless it's those explicit commands, we need to learn to humble ourselves and submit. Again, Solomon's not addressing any political things per se. He's just saying that there is a reality between living in a fallen world and how followers of God need to act. Then you need to ask yourself this question, are you a submissive person? We get frustrated often when, we have, when we're given rules and commands that are above us and we don't like to follow them. In fact, it shows us that we are more rebellious than we like to admit. We hate authority. In a sense, it shows us that we hate God's authority. In our subtle rebellion, we're actually rebelling against the Lord. And if you are a slave to God, you need to have an appropriate submission to the leaders that are in your life. And if you have a submissive heart, then you won't be frustrated when there's a new rule that comes into play. Because your natural disposition is that you are going to submit. Submissive to the Lord will guide you to submit to the things of the world. So if you don't want to be frustrated by the government or rules in your life, have a submissive attitude. That's the first point. Our second is to have self-restraint about the government or your teachers or your employers. Have self-restraint. First is to have a submissive attitude, and second is to have self-restraint. Look at verse 3. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. This is a picture of, of someone being able to enter into the courts of a king, and when they have this opportunity to talk to the ruler, to, to get an audience with them, they hear something about the king, or they're reminded about something about the king, and instead of just waiting patient, they decide to walk away, to leave, to leave uh, the, the king behind. And back then, the idea of leaving and turning your back against a king is, is, is amount to treason, because when you're turning your back to the king, you're saying you're walking away from the king, you're walking away from the kingdom, and you're going away from them. Uh, back then, when you're, when you're in the presence of the king, you're actually supposed to just kind of walk backwards. Uh, that's the, the normal procedure. And Solomon's saying that people, if you have an opportunity with those rules in your life, do not be so quick to leave them, because you might lose that opportunity to win them over. Solomon's trying to instruct people to be patient and stay and wait, because an untimely exit might forfeit your opportunity to sway and influence the king. And there was no court at the time higher than the king. The king could do whatever he wants, but that doesn't mean that he can't be swayed to think differently. And Solomon's saying, just be wise, be patient, have self-control. You notice it says, do not join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. And when you look at this, you think evil matter is some sort of plot against the king, like I'm going to kill the king or find some way to destroy him and overthrow him. But this idea of evil matter, it has nothing, it's not much to do with what you do, but more with what you say. It's about what comes out of your mouth and what you say about the king. The things that you say about the king reflects what's going on in your heart. How you see the earthly kings reflects how little you think about the king of kings. It's amazing in the last few weeks where Elon Musk bought Twitter. And I remember just not that long ago where people were saying, hey, we're losing our freedom of speech. We're being censored from one particular party. And the moment he bought this, suddenly it's flipped. The people that were censored at one point saying, now we have freedom of speech. And the other side are saying things like, oh, now we're going to lose our freedom of speech. And it's amazing to see how fickle we, can, uh, we become when it comes to the freedom of speech. And even though this is how the world thinks, unfortunately, Christians, we tend, we tend to cherish that as well. Right? We love the ability, the First Amendment, to be able to express ourselves. 
But you have to understand that our main and chief identity is in Christ. Our main citizenship is in heaven. So that, doesn't, that actually means that for us Christians, we don't have the freedom to speak whatever we want. Christians are never given or are entitled to the ability to say whatever they want. Because Christians, in the way that we speak, there are both a restraint, things that you're not supposed to say, and there are things that we are called to say. And, but when we speak, when we open our mouth, it must be filled with truth, it must be filled with grace, and it must be filled with love. And somewhere along the line, Christians bought into this idea that we can sound exactly like the world. We can talk down to the government exactly like the world. In the way that we conduct ourselves, how can people know the difference in our conduct if we talk exactly like them? Our speech must not be like the world. And you see how in the way that you communicate about your rulers and about your leaders, reveal what's going on in your own heart. You know, sometimes when people are discontent in their workplace, it's not really that the, the job itself is bad or that the employer is bad. You know, when people are discontent at work, they're really discontent at the Lord because the Lord has sovereignly placed them there, and they're discontent. So are you really discontent against the employers or is it really against the Lord? When we're grumbling and complaining about our teachers, are we really grumbling and complaining about the teacher? Or, we grum- or, or are we grumbling and complaining about God himself? And in every sense, however the rulers above us rule, it's re- it reveals what's going on in our own hearts. How many of us have failed in this area? And just as last week, how easy it is for us to just make some sarcastic remark against those that are ruling above us to insult them, to think that we know better. Again, it makes sense why the world would talk like that because this is what the world lives for. The world lives for worldly things. But as Christians, we live for a kingdom that is to come. So our, our words must not be critical. It must not be cursing, and it must not be cruel to those leaders above us. And Solomon says that a wise person has self-control. They know what to say. They tell them not to join in an evil matter. And if you think that this is just some sort of Old Testament command, look what Paul has to say in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. See, Paul instructs the Christians in Ephesus as well as Colossians that you need to put away your old self, and that includes your own tongue as well. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, But now you also put them aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. First Peter chapter 2. Again, the same chapter where Peter tells people to submit to authority. First Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. This isn't just only reserved for other Christians in the way that they treat other Christians but it's to all people, and that includes the rulers in your life. Be careful in what you say about other people and other rulers because they too are made in the image of God, and God hears every word that comes out of our mouth. Solomon is giving wise advice. He's saying that even if you're aware of the shortcomings of the rulers in your life, the last thing you want to do is make them feel dumb. And therefore Solomon tells them, to not stand or join with those that have evil speech or want to join in the evil cause against the king because the king is just going to do what they're going to do anyways. Psalm says to be prudent is a wise thing to not fight head-on against the rulers or those in your life. 
because those people have the authority to destroy you. Again, in the context of a king, he will do whatever he pleases. There should be a healthy reverence for those in authority. I know in the last several years in our, in our presidents and all the, and even the vice president, there's like different cabinet members that just kind of rotate out. You know, one president will have another news. Oh, this person left the cabinet or that person left their cabinet, left, that person left them. It's normal in the Western mind to think that that's okay. But in the Christian mind, Solomon's instructing us to be patient, to have self-restraint, because you never know how you can have a positive impact on those around you. Again, it's hard to do. It's hard to translate into our culture because, you know, we can vote people out. We can go to another school. We can leave our jobs. And although most of you may not want to physically harm those in your life that are in authority over you, but the way that you speak reflects what's going on in your heart. And oftentimes it's, it's sinful and it's toxic. And in our sinfulness, we want to do something evil to overthrow rulers that we don't like. And Solomon is saying, have some self-restraint. Solomon's advice is that you need to be careful in how you conduct yourself around rulers. In verse 4, it says, since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? Again, back in the day, there was no accountability for kings. If you think about David, his own father, Solomon's dad, when he wanted Bathsheba, he just took her. And some people debate, like, why did Bathsheba say, didn't, why didn't she say no? It was because back then, when you say no to those guards, it's death for you. So King David took advantage of his position and got whatever he wanted. And then it took him a while before the prophet confronted him. And when he was broken down, he was still the king. Yes, he lost a child, but he was still king. Solomon is just urging the reader to obey the king with a submissive heart. It's, it's a vain and fruitless task to question your rulers. Again, back then, they didn't need things like propaganda to change your mind. If, if you're against them, they'll just take you out. So the challenge for any rulers, and uh, you know, we're called to, just, uh, to, to, to challenge any ruler and to ask what they are doing is basically signing your own death certificates. Proverbs Chapter 20, verse 2. The terror of a king is like a growling of a lion. He who provokes him to anger forfeits his own life. And Solomon is basically answering the question with an obvious answer. Who can challenge and say, what are you doing? The answer is, no one. No one can safely correct the rules in their life and expect no consequences. So how careful are you? And the way that you respond and react to the rulers in your life. Do you find yourself wanting to grumble and complain against your employers, against your teachers, against the government? Do you have self-restraint in the things that you say? Do you have control over your tongue or does your tongue have control over you? We as Christians are called to have self-restraint. And when we have that self-restraint, we won't be frustrated by the things of the world because we ultimately understand that our submission is to the Lord. So not only do we need to have self-control uh, but we, and, and to have uh, self-restraint and having a, a submissive attitude, but our third point is that have a patient heart to the government. Have a patient heart to your teachers. Have a patient heart to your employer. Verse 5, he who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble for a wise heart knows the proper time and place. And Solomon is saying that there, when, you're in author, when, when there's someone in authority over you, there is an appropriate time to communicate with them. And this is exactly what Apostle said in Romans 13. Just if you, you know, if you stay out of trouble, you won't get in trouble. And just keep the royal commands. Paul writes this in Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Paul writes, remind them to subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, 
and be poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, Paul, again, makes this connection that if you understand your salvation, that you are made into a new creature, then the way that you respond to the things of this world is going to be radically different from the rest of the world. And the Bible is consistent regarding, in regards to the, our obedience to the government. And I know that there will be some of you that think, well, what about if our authorities are corrupted? Again, to some degree, all leaders and government might be flawed and corrupt. And again, that doesn't mean that gives us excuse not to listen. And generally speaking, if you keep the commands of the, of the land or in your, in your workplace or at school, you will experience no trouble. And the end of verse 5 speaks of the wise person that understands just proper procedure and conduct this, or, or some sort of custom. That's what this word procedure means. There is appropriate time for the subject to address the ruler. And this is what a wise person understands. They know when to speak. They know when to speak and when not to speak. And they know when is the right protocol and what is not the right protocol. And if you are faithful to the Lord and not causing any trouble, there is relative peace. But generally speaking, if you're obedient and faithful to wherever you're at, you might have an opportunity to, to gain influence over, uh, over those rules around you. Generally speaking, people who obey the royal commands will, and will avoid unpleasant outcomes. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 35. It reads, A king's favor is toward a servant who acts wisely, but his anger is toward him who acts shamefully. And Solomon isn't saying that you have to like everything that the government or the authorities in your life has to say or the orders they put over you. But just be wise and looking for the right opportunity. Be patient. That's what happened with Nehemiah, right? He was the cupbearer for the king. And he was good at his job. And to the point where one day the king noticed he was kind of sad. And he asked him, what's wrong? And in his humility, he asked, look, I, I want to serve you, but I'm just burdened by the fact that my home is destroyed and there's no walls. If you just go and let me check on this place for a certain amount of time, I will return. And the king let him go because he trusts him, because he was a faithful servant to him. So he has his ability to let him know that if he goes away for several months or even years, it's okay because I know that he will return. He understood the customs. He understood how to conduct himself in a way that was pleasing to the king while getting what he wanted. This was Esther as well. In the book of Esther, Esther's people was going to get killed, and he was going to go, and she was going to go and speak to the king, and that was something that you were not supposed to do. Even for the queen, there was a correct protocol. Everyone, including queen, needed to be summoned by the king, and the fact that she showed up to his courts without the king's edict was a sign that she's risking her life. And the king obviously reached out and pointed the scepter, and she was able to come into his royal courts and make her request be made known. And there's just a wise principle here. Just be patient. Wait for that opportunity to come. Verse 8, it says, For there is a proper time and procedure for every delight, though a man's heart, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. No matter what happened, there is going to be appropriate time. And yes, from the point where you're struggling with everything to the time where you get to talk and have audience with the ones above you, it is going to be difficult. And that's why Solomon encourages and challenges people to be patient. Honor the rulers that are above you. And no matter how bad things get, waiting and being patient to figure out the right time to win the rulers is the wise approach. Solomon doesn't want people to be unwise in their customs of the rulers. Now, are you this way? You know, are you working hard enough so that when, let's say, your teacher asks you for some feedback on how she can be a better teacher, because you, she knows or he knows that you're a good student, that when you speak, when you speak, it has some legitimate, legitimate concern to it. Or are you a good? Are you a hard worker? Do you not complain? Do you have a, a reputation of helping the company grow so that when your boss asks you, hey, are there any feedback, things that we can improve the government or the, uh, improve the company? Are there anything that you can do that you think that will be helpful? And those are those opportunities where you can speak up because they're asking for it. And Solomon is saying, have 
patience. Have a patient heart with those rulers above you. So not only are we called to have a submissive attitude or have self-restraint or be patient, but lastly, have an eternal perspective. Have an eternal perspective. Verse 7, if no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? Solomon here is admitting a truth. He's saying that no one knows what the future has to hold. No one knows everything there is to know in life. So if that's the case, then who are you to challenge those in authority? No one can truly understand the unfolding plan of God's uh, will. And why is that? Because no one on the planet has that knowledge. Every one of us is finite. We're all flawed in our understanding and our perception of the world. Our perspective of the world is not always as accurate or as insightful as we might think. Our solutions are not always as definitive as we originally thought. We are all flawed in our understanding how the world works, and so are the rulers above us. So are the teachers, so are the governments, so are their employers. All of us are in the same boat. All of us are flawed. No one on this planet have absolute control over everything or complete knowledge of everything. So what are we to do? We're called to keep entrusting ourselves to the Lord, to have an eternal perspective, and to understand that all the little details in this life is beyond our ability. And a true and wise person, someone that is able to make good decisions, but no matter how much wisdom they have, there is a limitation because we will not be able to know everything there is. There is no guarantee of a particular outcome in this life. And many people can think that they can predict what the future holds if there are certain policies in play or if there are certain rules that are set up. But Solomon reminds us that that's a vain reality. We have no foreknowledge of any of these details. This is why, as Christians and citizens, some people are just so frustrated with the government because in their prideful minds, they think their analysis of the world will just be, everything will be fine if they just listen to them. We believe that we know what's best for the moment, that we can somehow control what the future has, but in reality, we don't. And rest assured, brothers and sisters, even though we have no clue what's going to happen and that we have no complete full knowledge of what the world is like, we know that our God does. And Solomon, again, proves that we don't know anything and no one knows everything completely in the next verse. Verse 8, no man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the days of death. And there is no discharge in time of war and the evil will not deliver those who practice it. Wisdom is limited here. It helps you in life. You can do better things in life, but it is limited. There are just things that you cannot control. There are areas which no one can dictate. And what Solomon admits here is that, that no one has the power or knowledge to act perfectly in every circumstance, in every scenario. The world, again, is an unpredictable and dangerous place to live in, and it requires perspective. Particularly for us as Christians, we have an eternal perspective we can make sense out of everything. There's no one that can control the inevitable things in this life except for God, not the government, not your employer, not your teachers. And Solomon points to just four areas. The first thing he points out is the wind or the seasons. No one can control the seasons. No matter how great they think they can control the wind, where they want to go, it's not going to work. Uh, last week, my family and I were at Costco. We usually go to Costco, so if you can't find me here or at home, you we're probably at Costco somewhere. But this particular day, I put Ruby on the shopping cart, and we were walking, and she did the most Christ-like thing that I've seen her done that whole day. It was like, wow, she's trying to be like Jesus here. She tried to rebuke the wind, like how Jesus did. Like She tried to tell the wind to stop blowing because it was messing with her hair, and something amazing happened. The wind stopped. I'm kidding. No, it did not stop. It just kept blowing. She was just frustrated, yelling at the wind, and we're just like, just wait until we get inside. Everything will be fine. The wind doesn't go inside Costco. Just wait. And we see just as, a, as, as ridiculous and silly as a child tries to rebuke the wind that the governments, they think that they can control over nature as well. They think that if they have certain things in place and the planet will be green, the things will grow back, but they forget that God is in control of everything. 
God's in control of every droplet that falls from the sky. God's one decides if water should rise to a certain place. God can control the mountains. God can split continents. God can do whatever he wants in this world because this whole world belongs to him and he is in complete control over all things. And man really has no control over the wind. All they do is really they experience it. They experience the winds. They experience everything in life. They have no, there's no absolute control no matter where you are in this life. Then he talks about death. No one has authority over the day of death. And that's a given. All of us will die one day. And we can't be walking up to death and say, hey, hey hold on, give me a few more minutes. There's, that doesn't work. Right? I, mean, I know there are cultures, even in the Chinese culture, that have you know, firecrackers to get the death demon not to come. Is that really going to happen? You know, that's not going to happen. You can make all these rituals and chant things that you want, but you have no control over death. And he mentions war. He said there is no discharge in the time of war. There will always be a season in, in the world where there is war. Solomon has said this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There is a time to love and a time to hate and a time for war and a time for peace. You know, that's exactly what happened, is going on in Ukraine, right? They didn't, the people, the citizens there, they probably had a season of peace, and then they heard rumblings of war, and then war actually broke out, and some of the people, they were just regular citizens, and now they're having to bear the, the weapons to protect one another. Living in the fallen world, there's going to be seasons like that, and the option of peace will be stripped away from your hand, and you will sometimes have to fight Again, governments sometimes have no choice but to engage in war. And God is saying, yeah, some of these events are going to happen, and there's no government that can stop it. And then he ends with crime. He said, and evil will not deliver those who practice it. There will always be crime. There will always be people that get away with things, that break the rules. You know, if you're a teacher, or if, you're in, if you're working, if you're an you know, employer, and if you're in the government, there's no way that you can restrain the evilness that goes on in the hearts of people. No government, no employer, and no teacher is able to fully regulate the depravity of man. Because if that was the case, then being a teacher would be a delight. Being an employer would be a delight. Being in any government would be a delight. We can just tell people, stop doing that, and they actually will stop. There is no way in which we can regulate the human heart. And Solomon's using all four of these to show us all how limited we are in our ability to control the things of the world. And if you are hoping in the government, if you're hoping in your employers or your teachers to be able to solve all the problems in your life, then it makes complete sense why those areas are frustrating for you. Because you think that they could be some sort of savior for you. Again, this isn't to say that we shouldn't have government or employers or teachers, but just understand that there is a limitation to how much they can really control. And why is that? Because, again, these are made up of flawed people. It's a hard reality check that no one has complete control over the spheres in this world. And you need to set your minds not on the things below, but have an eternal perspective on what is to come, because we know that God is in control. And no one has the ability to control everything that is just mentioned here except for God himself. But what if the authority was a terrible authority? Verse 9, All this I've seen and applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. And Psalms acknowledging that there are going to be rulers that's going to cause harm to other people. Then what are we supposed to do? We need to humbly submit. We need to honor uh, the king. We need to pray for the rules in our life. We want to be faithful to the Lord. And even if these evil teachers and employers and authorities can get away with things, there is going to be a time where they have to give an account to how they rule. They're going to have to give an account to how they governed the nation or the school or the employee. They're given a particular amount of responsibilities, and God is going to judge them based on how faithful they are. In the same way, God's going to deal with us and how we submit to those in authority. God will deal with us. We have to give an account to the Lord and how faithful we are to his word by submitting to the authorities in this world. And this should give us great comfort, knowing that one day, God will handle those terrible rulers. There is 
a hope for us as Christians that one day our God will make everything right. He is going to be the one that can undo and correct everything that the first authority on this planet failed. When Adam was here, he had this unique ability and he was given responsibility to take and rule the land and to have government control over the land and the animals. He was given authority and yet he failed. Every terrible wind pattern, every bloody war, every single death, and every horrible, horrible crime will be done away with one day. And having this eternal perspective, knowing that one day our king of kings is going to come and rule and, he's going to be, and all of these things are going to be undone, everything will be fixed, gives us an eternal perspective. And if anything, terrible rulers in this life makes us long for that perfect ruler that is to come. We'll one day look forward to the day where we don't have to deal with strange weather patterns. We don't have to worry about crime anymore. We don't have to worry about death because when, when King Jesus reigns, everything will be at peace. That's when the perfect government will be here. But for every terrible ruler, we anticipate and we look forward to that day. In the last moments and hours of Jesus' life, Pilate flogged. Jesus, and he thought that he had somehow authority to decide the fate of Jesus, said in John chapter 19. So Pilate said to him, do you, you do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you? I have the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has a greater sin. See, Jesus understands that you need to submit to the authority because those authorities are there because God has placed them there. And if you think that injustice must be overthrown, then you don't understand the life of our Savior. You don't know what it means to be like Christ because Jesus was the one that was treated unjustly, but even he acknowledges that he had to submit to them and knows that the Lord is ultimately going to be done away with them, and he's the one who placed them there. Jesus understands what it's like to be under wrongful rulers, both in the religious sense and in in society. And And although the worldly king's word may seem sovereign in this life, we know that God's word is truly the only one that can speak in a supreme way. The biggest concern I see in our Christian day today is that we will only honor the rulers that we like, or if it's for expedient reasons. But we are called as Christians to be submissive, to have self-restraint, to be patient, and to have an eternal perspective. If you don't want to be frustrated in living in a world where there's rules over you, this is the things that you need to have in your life. And I trust that if you continue to have these things, to have eternal perspective, that you're going to long for Jesus Christ, and you're going to anticipate and love him and adore him more once you see him. The world is obviously going to go chaotic and act in a way that goes against the rulers. But as Christians, we are not moved by the flesh. If you claim to be a Christian, you are moved by the Holy Spirit to submit, to be patient, to be kind, to live differently from the world. And when you live differently from the world, people are going to be drawn to the king that you worship. Because in our political parties, we know which side one is. But for Christians, we worship Uh, someone that's greater. We submit to the greater king, the king that is in control of all things and will one day fix everything. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father God, we confess that it is not easy to submit to your word, and particularly to be submissive to those that are in our lives. Lord, we know we're ruled and governed by people that that might dis- that may despise you and may not have your best interests or your glory in mind. But Lord, we know that we're called to give an account in how we live our lives. And may we be, fa- may we be found faithful, not as just citizens of this world, but as citizens of the heavenly kingdom. Lord, work in our hearts and in our lives today so that we can learn to have a submissive attitude that we learn to have self-restraint in the things that we say, that we be patient in your timing of all things, and that we have an eternal perspective of the rulers in our lives. 
Lord, this life is short, and may we be faithful completely in the life that you've given us. Help us this week that we want to live differently so that the world will know that there's something different about us, that we have a joy that's not found in the success of, the, of rulers in this world, but we rejoice knowing that one day you will come back and you'll make all things right, Lord. We anticipate your return, and we pray that you return soon, Lord. Thank you, Lord, and we love you. In your son's precious name, amen.